Hello, Lion Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Lion Cook Thoughts Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Welcome back to another episode of the show. And yeah, before we get into it, just a friendly reminder that every Monday I put out the Lion Cook Thoughts Prep List Items newsletter. This is a newsletter for information for anyone in the food industry regarding um, you know what's going on in the industry with the workforce, new breakthroughs and AI, and everything else in between that I find interesting. So go to lioncookthoughts.com, put in your email and hit subscribe to sign up for the newsletter. Also, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, please leave a review for the podcast. It helps me get traction, lets me know what you think of the show, and helps me get better as a creator. So if you're on Apple or Spotify, please leave a review. If you're on Apple, please leave a comment. My guest today is Bobby Hicks. I'm very excited for this episode. I've talked to Bobby numerous times, and I think his work is incredible. Who is Bobby? He is the founder of Retro Recipes Kitchen, which you can find on Instagram and TikTok at RetroRecipesKitchen.com. You can also find his handle at this fellow on Instagram, and you can find his work there. And I will also link to all of this in the description of this episode. But for Bobby, he is someone who goes back in time to work on literally retro recipes. And he's done countless of different uh, projects and a ton of great content around going back into older cookbooks, mid uh, you know 20th century cookbooks finding recipes and recreating them. And I've just learned so much from watching his content. I've learned so much from the work he does. And it's really interesting. If you're at all a fan of history, at all a fan of how food was made, how it's been made and where it's come from, this is a really great creator that you should check out. So I was very fortunate to have him on. We talk a ton about retro recipes themselves. He shares about, you know, why aspic is no longer a thing, along with countless other recipes and works he's worked on. We also talk about his content creation, how he kind of views it, how his journey started, and where he's going from here. Uh, A ton of information just about his whole process and about retro recipes in general, so I hope you enjoy it. I hope you give him a follow on Instagram and TikTok because his uh, work is pretty insane, and he has a large following, so many people enjoy it, so I really, really hope you go give him give him a follow and check out his work. Bobby, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you all for listening. And here's the interview with Bobby Hicks. Good to go. So welcome to the show. If you want to start up introducing yourself, that'd be perfect. Hey, man. (laughs) Um, yeah, so I am, uh, Bobby Hicks and, uh, Basically, I uh, am a, you know, just like a 38-year-old guy that lived in New York City for about 15 years. Um, I had no practical experience working in restaurants or anything in that nature whatsoever when I moved there from uh, from Orlando, Florida. And uh, basically just, yeah, I worked my ass off and had a lot of people take notice of that and then kind of offer to guide and mentor me in a direction that actually led toward cooking and, and toward creating um, with like the food and beverage industry um, yeah. in, industry. <laughs> we, we know how to say this word, you know? <laughs> um, and so, I mean, it was, it was really great because I started off as a room server at the Soho Grand Hotel. Um, did that for about three years and stuff. Uh, volunteered in my spare time just to learn how to cook with the, uh, the team over there. So I would basically be working like, 18 hour days, <laughs> wow. you know, just essentially staging. Like after my, my full shift was done, I just changed into kitchen gear and then, uh, work in there. And eventually later on the chef, when he left, he started working at the sew house, brought me over there, uh, to work with him in the kitchen. 
and then that just kind of like really ignited my like belief that I knew I wanted to do something with cooking or something with like food and beverage in, in general. Mm. Later on, I moved into uh, bartending, where I did that for years, working at some of the best bars in New York City. And then, uh, you know, kind of at a certain point, I was just like, this is, this is too much for me. And, uh, and so I decided to leave working at the bars, got into content creation. And now, you know, more than a decade later, I have uh, kind of found, I guess, my niche uh, with a channel that I call Retro Recipes Kitchen, where I okay. essentially just... Um, recreate uh you know hundreds of recipes that kind of come from like the you know 20s all the way up to the 60s and 70s and yeah and that's where we are so <laughs> awesome yeah definitely i mean obviously a big fan of your work follow you on your different platforms for those who don't know bobby does have like thousands upon thousands of followers across tiktok and instagram and all that so i'll very link lucky. all of his i'll link all of his channels down below yeah for me i mean so connected through Justin Kana, so shout out Justin, but um, to get to know you and kind of get to see like how you create, I think it's been really interesting for both you as a creator being willing to like do what you do, but then also there's a whole side, like on your link tree, you have what you use to record video and kind of the process behind it too. Um, let's start out with kind of why it's important for you to be so transparent and open about your process. So, I mean, um, I, I, I think it's, one, it's helpful for me to kind of understand, uh, like to help people understand because I've been doing this for, you know, over a decade, working with brands, creating content, like making this like a full time occupation. This is how I've paid my bills for a very, very, very long time. And the, the common misconception that people have is that one, it's, it's really easy to get into. And also, um, that you also need to have like all of the best kit and you don't. But you do need to understand that there's like a lot of time and patience and just kind of like just paying your dues, essentially, that, that you have to go through. And so I feel like it's really helpful when I'm able to offer, you know, advice or share the tools that I've used uh, over the years that have kind of like, this is better than that, or this is literally what I'm using at any given time when I'm shooting my own stuff, because I'm, I'm always getting folks that are asking me. So... Hmm. Yeah, it's like, I, I just think that, uh, like, especially with the kit page, like, that makes it really simple for me to kind of isolate things where it's like, this is what I like to use for the kitchen. And then on the content production side of things, I think it's really helpful to, because especially with lighting, let's say, lighting is something that is really daunting for a lot of folks. And I think that when you can kind of go out there and see like, okay, this is specifically what he's using, and I even have little notes to add to it, why? Um, I think that that goes a long way to help people understand what they could be doing better also. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I think, you know, when you can see that, you kind of see how it's all built out. I think a lot of people think that, like you were saying, there's a, the, it's a dichotomy of consecration is easy. And then, like you said, you need a ton to get into it. And so for you, as you've been building throughout your like content creation journey, um, when do you feel like you really hit your stride? I know for me, like podcast wise, I wasn't until I was past like episode 100 where I started to really feel more comfortable and more like I was direct and able to be more efficient with how I was asking questions or if, when I was writing, like I know it took us some years. When do you feel like you started to hit your stride and really like nail into your tone, your voice and how you portray yourself through content? Um, so, I mean, basically, like, I think that I'm always still trying to kind of find ways to be better and to make things more interesting or just kind of evolve whatever it is that I'm doing. 
But I, I will say that I think, like, for me, the most important thing that I was able to do was actually have a a very cohesive thought that was going into all the all the content that I was making, but at the same time offering, like, a variety of different ways to do it. So, for example, like, on my channel, I've got the, you know, Bring It Back or Say in the Past series, and it's literally just filmed with my iPhone and a small microphone <laughs> no. attached to it, and it's me talking to the camera, and I just kind of choose a weird recipe, make it, and let you guys know if it's good or not. And then there are some others that are, like, way more produced, like the actual retro recipe videos where I'm dressed up in vintage clothing and I film everything and send it out to voice actors and I'm editing everything on my computer and all this. There are a number of different series that I've created on the channel, and I think one of the best things that I did was to kind of help with, like, understanding, like, what I could be doing better, this and that. It's just having a very cohesive idea but at the same time a little variety so that it's like that's when i started to kind of hit my stride i think you it's like when i had uh, enough variety to keep things interesting because my my adhd scattered brain needs to have kind of like stimulation and changes and things that i can look forward to and if i'm doing the same thing over and over again it just gets uh a little a little exhausting or just boring at times so i think like one of the best things that i learned early on is that it's like you can't just be doing everything because I've tried that, you know, it's like I used to have mm -hmm. fitness and then also, you know, fashion and then did video stuff. And it's like, it's impossible to kind of keep people engaged when like you're doing too many things. But if you can have a variety of options that you're doing, um, at least in the video content space that all still fit within the same genre or same kind of like niche that you're working with, that's when things get not only more interesting, um, but at the same time, your audience kind of broadens a little bit more because you're tapping into the facets that so many different people have interest in, but not everything that you do, they might click with. So yeah, that may or may not have answered anything. <laughs> no, it definitely does. No, I think I, I'm kind of in that same boat of, I definitely need more than one thing to work on. I feel like if I'm only working on one thing, I can get very bogged down and I definitely need like to switch it up and have different paces, whether it be podcast, writing, social media. So I get that. I get that. And for you, like, you know, going through the recipes, uh, obviously you, you work on a lot of these retro recipes. What it was, what was the biggest challenge for you? Like what was the biggest friction point in regards to recreating them? Was it finding ingredients? Was it trying to put yourself in a frame of mind where you're, cause you're kind of have to like, when you cook these recipes, you can't cook as if you're, like as you know how to cook before, because it's such a, it's almost a century ago for some of them. So like, how difficult was that to like kind of retrofit yourself into like cooking all these recipes? So it's actually been a lot of fun because it depends entirely on the book that you're referring to and reading from. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, if you're reading something from Julia Child, you know, it is an incredibly specific uh, breakdown, you know, where she'll explain the nuances of whatever it is is happening in the moment so that you're like, oh, I should be looking for bubbles as this is mm. cooking or something like that. And then there are other books like I just work with recently where it's like you'll have the entire list of ingredients and then you'll start to explain everything in the actual instructions and you realize, wait, she, like, this person omitted, like, all of the actual ingredients in the steps and you just have to kind of go with your gut and just know what's going on. And I, I kind of think what's fascinating about it is that it's like, I, I've kind of talked about this to folks uh, before, is that, like, what makes this so interesting to me in particular is the fact that these recipes 
you can you can see and feel the evolution. You know, it's like if you start looking in like the nineteen, let's say like twenties and thirties. You know, it's like that's kind of like a dust bowl into you know like second world war ish era and stuff like this in like the thirties and forties. You know, and then mm. you kind of see like in the forties and fifties the evolution of that, where it's like now you have like the kids of the people that survived like the, uh, the dust bowl and stuff. And they're all of a sudden taking recipes that they're making their own. And it still is kind of like, everything is based out of necessity, what they had available. So there's a lot of like pickling, there's a lot of canned goods. And it's not really until like, I say like the late sixties, seventies, eighties, when you start to kind of see folks like really understanding technique when it goes into mm-hmm. cooking, because everything before them was kind of just they, they didn't have any anybody to teach them and it was yeah. actually like i kind of find it interesting is it like you start to see around like the 50s um when food started to get more exciting in america because it's like you had all these people that came from the war you know world war ii or or whatever and they traveled around the world they had all these food experiences and then they brought that back and so they're like, guess what? We're going to be making this exciting thing that I had when I was stationed over here or stationed over there. But yeah. it still is like this incredible Americanized, bastardized version where, you know, it's like, it's not accurate. It's not how it's supposed to be. You know, like uh, they're using a lot of cream and mushroom soup for whatever it might be. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's really interesting because like you you can really see like not just the history of like how foods evolved, but also if you really take a step back and look at it more from like an aerial perspective, you actually understand why foods were the way they were, you know? And yeah. Is there a specific recipe that you worked with that kind of had a story behind it or a timeline? Maybe like the reason they cooked it was a certain, a certain reason. And or is there anything like that where you kind of went down a rabbit hole because the recipe was worded a weird way or had interesting ingredients? Yeah, there's some, like, there's um, this one book I have uh, from a company called Club. They were a company called Club Aluminum. And they actually had an entire cookbook. And what I loved also from, like, the mid-century period is, like, a lot of these companies that would make, like, food products or that would make, um, you know, like, kitchen tools, like cooking utensils or things like this, they would actually make their own cookbooks. So, like, the... Wearing Blender Company or Wearing Blender Company, however you want to say it, or like Club Aluminum Cookbook. And they would use this to kind of like promote the products they would actually create by introducing recipes to kind of help you get started with things. And I loved it because Club Aluminum had um, in their book an entire section dedicated to what they called a double boil or a, what was it, a double fryer. And it's basically like, it's basically like an omelet pan of sorts, but it's like you you have two ends that basically kind of like close on top of each other, and you would actually have in some of these recipes baking recipes. So it would teach you how to make like the club 22-minute cake, for example, <laughs> and it gives you like this cake batter recipe that you actually take and you pour into one side of the double fryer, and then mm. you have to cook it on a stovetop. You know, and then close the lid and then after about 11 minutes, flip it over so that it cooks for another 11 minutes. And it's like little things like that where it's just very, very antiquated, very different. That I mean, like you, you can't stick this in an oven because it has a wood handle and all this other stuff. So it was really kind of cool to see like tools and things like that that were kind of coming from that period of time that were, I don't know, things that like we 
wouldn't i mean i struggled to do this i burnt the first like five recipes that i did <laughs> mm-hmm. because like you just don't understand how to actually cook with it you know yeah definitely no it's it's very interesting i do i told you about this before bringing up the julia child's book uh my grandfather had and that i attained don't tell my mom because she's been looking <laughs> for it um but no kind of speaking to what you were saying about just kind of how it's interesting looking back because a lot of old recipes in researching this podcast, a lot of the biggest claims are like, there's not enough instruction. And then you look at something like, you know, this book and there's like, there's this whole section on like how to cut artichokes and how to eat them. And it's so well written and it's, it's no surprise at that point how successful this book was. But do you feel like at this time period, this was very rare still, or do you think this is when things started to change based off of her work? Or did you notice it before kind of her era? So um, there, so I think what made Julia Child so unique is that it's like she was an individual that was going out of her way to create these incredibly detailed uh, like cookbooks. You know, um, I mean, they're 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 basically like the Bible of like you know cooking and stuff. I mean, you, you you've got yours in front of you, but I mean, if anybody doesn't know that these books are eight to 10 pounds and, you know, like a couple inches thick, you know, and most of the cookbooks, especially, you know, before the seventies, you know, were just kind of like thin little pamphlets that would come out in small volumes, maybe like 50 to a hundred pages. And they're all paperback and just like really convenient. And there were a few that I have uh, collected that are like, massive hardcover you know um recipe books that are just brilliant and and like really really accurate in a similar way that like the julia child books were but they're like from major companies like the mccall's you know cookbook which like started with a magazine and then they went into Mm -hmm. like making a cookbook and it's similar and it's in its like weight and and thickness and everything but what made julia child so special is that again it's like she was an individual person with this insane collection of knowledge that she was putting out there and the fact that she focused on what uh, on explaining things in a way that was meant to be attainable by the home cook you know and to kind yeah. of take away the take away the fear uh, so I, I i always think that that's what kind of like separates like the julia child cookbooks from you know maybe some of the others that are out there it's just the fact that like she was she was alone you know she had a, a, her husband and then her editor yeah. And then for the most part, everything else was just like her putting in the time with her French uh, cohorts that were across the pond. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I um, I don't want to, I, I still want to stay in the retro um, time period, but bringing up kind of this cookbook and how it compares to others, I think a lot of modern, and I want to ask you what you like and dislike about modern cookbooks, seeing as you've had such experience with such a large timeline. But I almost wonder sometimes if like modern cookbooks are more so they're like just as entertainment than actually like how to cook. And I wonder how you feel about that. And if that's like, I don't know, like just your thoughts in general on modern cookbooks. I think I think it's one of those things where uh, in general, I kind of think that cookbooks, especially like I said, kind of around like the 80s and stuff like that, you know, food started to go into like the you know, nouveau cuisine style around like the eighties and stuff. And like, that's when I think the appreciation for food aesthetics and kind of like 
fancier techniques started to come in and that that made it more of an interest to kind of like print it and and write books about it and beautiful photos you know like when i think of modern cookbooks you know like i immediately go to you know like tk's french laundry cookbook mm-hmm. or or you know things like this um and i think the differences between modern books today versus books back then is it like back then it was just very pragmatic you had a bunch of recipes the, the personality might come out in the actual like step-by-step instructions, but it's like for the most part, they were just instructions. Whereas today, I think a cookbook is more of like um, a chef's or, or an author's opportunity to kind of like treat it like a memoir as well and, and have a place to like write down not just the recipe, but also kind of like food memories or thoughts or, you know, like just a story, like an anecdotal thing that might tie it all together. I mean, going back to Thomas Keller, it's like, I think one of my favorite chapters in in any of his books was like his lesson on rabbits. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, he just talks about the importance of, of kind of like respecting your proteins or your, or your, your products in general. And just like how much he learned from the process of like butchering rabbits or working with rabbits and raising them and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and you don't really see that with a ton of older books. Um, if anything, they were just they were kind of like short. They're they're almost like how we look at reels versus like fully YouTube videos. You know, it's like they're they're just quick little bites that kind of give you enough to like enjoy it with you know cute little cartoons and animations and a couple of recipes that may or may not be winners. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting. I um I do have a lot of modern cookbooks and I do enjoy them a lot. But I often always, and when I'm going through them, I'm like, yeah, like the probably the everyday cook isn't going to tackle this. So it is interesting. But also at the same time, it's like, you know, you have works like Julia Childs and you have these cookbooks that do go over the basics. So like you can, there's only so much you could do with that. So I think it all has a place, but I just found it interesting kind of hearing your feedback or your thoughts on the timeline of it all. Do you, um, do you find that a lot of the retro recipes or the older cookbooks we're really like hyper focused on certain things, like whether it be a piece of cookware or if it was like a branded product, or are there was is there a lot out there where it's just kind of like randomness, or there's a good diversity, or is do you kind of have to like do your diligence to find diversity in those in those works? Yeah, I mean, um, food, like especially from my own just kind of like experience making these dishes on a regular basis for the last couple of years, you know, it's like I've come to find that. A lot of the dishes, like, they, they would categorize things in interesting ways. So, again, like, you know, if you're looking at a salad today, you know, it's like we're thinking microgreens or, like, fresh, you know, like, uh, like spring farm, lettuce right? yeah. from the farm. Something something very beautiful and edible. Yeah. And it's like from basically the 1970s to the 20s or 30s, you know, it's like if you look at salad – a salad mm-hmm. very much most often included gelatin or mayonnaise or or just a, a, an entire range and assortment of just like awful awful ingredients that we just don't really want to do today. So there's <laughs> a lot of jello, there's a lot of gelatin that was used and stuff. But um I'd say you know it's like it really honestly depends on the book that you're working with because some books like I said, you know, it's like, for example, uh wearing wearing blender, you know, company, it's like if you had a wearing blender cookbook you know, it's like every single dish in there is going to be in some way focused or touching on like a blender in in some way. Or if you're going to use something with like a Crisco, you know, it's like they'll find ways to do it. 
And I think yeah. that it's like cookbooks back then were not so much in the sense that like they were, it was just interesting because it's like cookbooks were much more like promotional pamphlets for companies. You know, it's like you, you had a couple of, a couple of like big ones, like the good housekeeping cookbook series, which was, you know, publication of like 20 plus, uh, like different books that had very specific focuses, like sandwiches or meats or parties, you know, but it's like in general, most of the books that I actually have found are kind of just promoting products. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to say if there's like one thing that, you know, but it, it's like stylistically, they love their stews, you know, it's like the, the, but it's like the, the cooking techniques themselves were just like so lacking. I mean, you know, they, they never really added a lot of seasoning. So like we mm. always kind of, you know, like anytime I post something, it's always kind of like somebody saying like, oh my God, I would die because there's just no flavor in any of this food, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And I think at the end of the day, it's like, that's one of the big common things is that like, we just didn't understand how to season things. So like we, we could taste foods and be like, wow, that's so exciting or so delicious. Wonder why it tastes good, you know? And they just didn't understand a lot of like the simple little techniques that really elevated any of the cuisine. Yeah. No, I, I, I can only imagine. I mean, I've watched some of your videos and, you know, some look good, some of the food looks good and some of it is like, I don't know. I don't know. What was going on there? Do you have a, a one that's like kind of scared you to eat? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's actually funny because like I've uh, you know, I've made a lot of recipes that most of them actually are there. I, I can't say that they're all like really great. You know, like I say, like ten out of ten bangers. Like a lot you of think them it would are be not great that... if you season them more. You think that's what the lacking is, or is it more so combination and cook method? It's it's. I think it's actually that because it's like if you go most of the recipes that I'm doing, I try to stick exactly to the specs that they offer. But if they're just saying salt, I'm going to season my food the way that I would season food today. It's like I, I like to heavily salt things, heavily pepper. But it's like when it tells you at a quarter of a teaspoon of salt, and it's like you're making a giant thing of whatever it is, and I'm like, oh my god, this is going to be so terrible. <laughs> but it, but it's like if you. It's really easy to fix it because, again, in that in that regard, you know, it's like it doesn't matter what you're cooking. If it tastes bland and I have a lot of people that come in, they're just like, this sounds so boring and bland. I'm like, any food's boring and bland if you don't season it. You could you could go to a Michelin restaurant and have, you know, like the most incredible food or go to like a steakhouse and have like Australian or Japanese Wagyu, you know, and if it's not seasoned, it's not going to taste as good as if it, you know, was properly seasoned. So. Yeah. So going back to maybe a, the, a scary recipe that you were making, I kind of interjected there. Is no, there no, one that good. comes to mind that was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to try this. But you had to out of curiosity. Yeah, a bunch. I mean, most of the time it always ends up falling on an aspic dish, you know? And, okay. and again, like if, if anybody doesn't know an aspic is basically like a, a it's a, a gelatin dish that's kind of like a savory gelatin dish, you know, you, mm -hmm. you, you, it's like a, it's like a, a soup that can stand up, you know? <laughs> and I made, uh, I made, it was from Julia Child actually. So it was just really painful because like everything I've made from her was amazing. And then I make this dish and it was the poached egg in aspic. Huh, and it was just, there. it's gotta be in there somewhere. And okay. it's just like, it, it's, you know, you make a clarified stock and you, you, you add the gelatin and, you, and, and the thing is like, I love poaching eggs. It's like one of my favorite things to do. I just love freaking poached eggs. And yeah. so I took this time, made this beautiful poached egg, 
you know, this, this like really nice kind of, uh, like brinoise of like vegetables and stuff that was calling for it. And then okay. you, you know, kind of like layer it, you know, you don't just pour it all together in a, in a mold and then hope it sets. Like you have to, it takes time because you have to layer like the first third of the, the, the gelatinized stock base and then you have to let it set and then you have to put the poached egg and then add more and then let it set and then layering as it goes. So it sits in this little vessel of jello and I made it and I was so proud. I was just like, this actually might not be that bad. It's just kind of like a cold soup. Mm. And I, I took one bite and it just instantly like had to gag it into like the trash can <laughs> because it was just the most viscerally like horrible experience ever. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking up the dish right now and man, that does look no, wow. I, I've made and I've made a bunch of aspects and like they just without fail are always and it it might just be like a textural thing, but it's is like it still run, is the yolk still kind of runny when you're opening it then? Yeah, I mean if you poach it oh. right, you know it's like it's Gosh. it's a it's just runny on runny on runny, and then like the the recipe that I had, it was just like blanched, you know, like lightly <laughs> blanched like uh, brinoise vegetables, like peppers and stuff like this, and it's just everything because when you chill foods. The flavor changes when you heat mm -hmm. foods up. The flavor changes, but when you've got basically like a cold, like jiggly stock, it's just yeah, with the cold yolk and yeah, yeah. No, it's just it's awful. So, well, I'll add that's a list of things I never want to try. Um, thank you for doing <laughs> the, thank you for doing the good work in doing that. And is there a is there a banger recipe you have like that you still eat with now, or that you still like? You're just like oh, I'm craving this. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's funny. It's like every time I do any kind of like a chat with somebody on like a podcast or, or interview or something like this, it's the same question that comes up. And every time it's it's kind of the same answer where it's just like every week or month that I make dishes, everything kind of just because that's fresh of mind. That's kind of what I'm thinking about. So there are a lot of things that I've made that I was so surprised about and turned out to be like absolutely delicious. But I think one that I made recently that. I just can't stop thinking about because it really is so good is mm. uh, it was a turkey a la king recipe, um, which is like, you know, you hear like chicken a la king and things like this. And it's like, that's one of those iconic like 50s, 60s dishes that everybody in their house has made. But it's like when you make this, you serve it on top of uh, waffles yeah. <laughs> and it sounds so stupid, but it's like. I had a lot of people when they saw it and they were just like, that sounds so disgusting. I can't believe you ate that. Good on you. You're doing the hard work for us. <laughs> but I try to explain them like, you know, chicken a la king or turkey a la king or any a la king. It's basically like the filling inside of a pot pie. Yeah. And then you just put it on any vessel you want. So it's like I was doing that with um, us making volavant, you know. Mm. with puff pastry and sticking it in there later on with the leftovers. I did it on the waffle. You do it on toast. It's hmm. good on everything. Um, and then, you know, it's like, I don't know when this is coming out, but appropriately, you know, it's like season two of The Bear is coming out and on the 22nd. And uh, I actually just finished making a recipe for Chicago-style Italian beef sandwich, you know, that I'm going nice. to be airing, airing on that day. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, that recipe hasn't changed a ton and it's been a popularized thing since like the 1930s really got more popular in the 40s and then since then like it's actually been kind of like a a fight amongst like all the chicago and you live in chicago so you know what i'm you know what i'm talking yeah. about and and i you know took my time i like 
dry, you know, like salt, salt cured, like my, my bottom round in my fridge for a couple of days to like really just give it time to kind of like zhuzh up and taste great with the flavor. I braised it really nicely. I let it sit in the freezer long enough so I could actually like really, you know, shave it really thin. My mm-hmm. au jus was just fucking amazing, you know, <laughs> like, and it turned out to be like just such an incredible dish for something so simple. And I don't know, you know, it's like that. Those are two things that I've been making recently. They're just very top of mind. <laughs> nice. No, that sounds really good. Um, yeah. And my last question kind of with in line with all this is there, and maybe it is the aspect, I don't know, maybe we'll get to, maybe this will be your answer, but is there a trend you see, like you're almost like a time traveler, right? And you've been able to go back and see all these recipes and a lot of these, some of these methods have died. Is there one trend where you're like, I'm glad this died and you all don't know the horrors of what it could have cost. And what would that one be? I mean, uh, like you, you, you started this off pretty strong by just mentioning aspect, like aspects. <laughs> there's a reason why we don't make them anymore. They're just absolutely <laughs> terrible. They had like their dying, like death grasp, but like in the, in like the seventies and maybe sneaking into like the early eighties. Yeah. Um, but it's like, there's a reason why, Nobody has made one in the longest time because it's just the most tragically awful thing in the world. Um, and then I'd say, like, I, j- I just think, like, over the last, you know, 30, 40 years in particular, it's like we've really taken steps to kind of, like, appreciate cooking more. Like, back then, it was much more like, unless you were just a housewife that, like, uh, you know, and again, I'm not trying to stereotype. It's like this literally was just, like, housewives mm-hmm. are the ones that did all the cooking. You know, it's like when TV dinners kind of popped in, that's when like the, the whole, you know, like working in a kitchen all day and night to like prepare three meals for your family kind of started to like trickle out a little more. But it's like, I think that everything back then was just boiled. Mm. <laughs> it was just boiled away. You had no real flavor. Everything was just like, they didn't have the techniques. And so I feel like over the last 40 years, we've actually had a much better approach of kind of just like taking the time to develop our flavors. You know, it's like understanding that you can roast some things to get some caramelization on your vegetables before adding it to something else and like using more than one pot. And and I feel like that's kind of been like the big thing that's just really elevated cuisine and and just adding salt. (laughs) Yeah, adding salt. No, that's good to know. Uh, so thank you for going through all that and sharing all that. I think, you know, going over the last like 25 minutes, it, it shows how much you dove into this because you're just able to speak off the top of your head, all these different things. So I appreciate just how much knowledge you have in this space when now I don't know that I know this too much, but you have two Instagrams that are very, that have a good amount of following. You obviously have retro recipes kitchen, and then you have this fellow, um, is what what is the reason for the delineation between the two? Is was it more so to like your own personal uh, like you wanted to showcase your own personal life outside of the other page, or kind of why do you have two kind of content based uh, pages? I guess I would say. So um, I guess I tying back to like the very beginning at the intro. You know, it's like when you asked me what I did, I went through a long deep dive about how I'd started moving into New York. Uh, at this point, like maybe almost 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, and having no experience and then kind of working my way through everything, you know, and what I kind of came to find is that it's like when I left working as a bartender, right, um, maybe let's say about 13 uh, or sorry, about 10 or 11 years ago, you know, 
that's when I decided I need to have like a pivot. I need to have like a direction of things. So my girlfriend was already a content creator. She's been one for the longest time since before content creator was a word or blogging was a word. <laughs> like she was, she's been doing it that long. And she kind of like got me interested in the idea of like, Hey, you can make a, a decent income doing something creative that you're good at, which in my case was like, I, I loved taking photography um, taking photos and I was learning how to do video. And so it's like, at that time we created the brand together, this fellow, um, which I've had for ever. <laughs> and okay. that was, that was purely created as kind of like, especially at the time it was, it was, um, a, like a men's influencer kind of like fashion driven realm that I was, I was a part of, you know, like I was, I was very much a part of like a New York click or or you know like collection of folks i would say that like were promoting style and fashion and kind of transitioning from working in the bar scene where i worked in like classic cocktail bars i was always wearing vintage clothing mm. suspenders dressing nicely and so i fit really easily into that realm um i honestly think actually like that world of working in classic bartending stuff and like knowing hundreds and hundreds of cocktails from like you know the 20s and 30s and stuff like that and and earlier like kind of got me into what i do now mm -hmm. but you know i'd i'd had the this fellow account for the longest time and it was always doing fashion related or lifestyle related content and then when i moved down to florida and i mean i'd actually say even like around like the pandemic time being in lockdown it's like a lot of things changed i wasn't doing fashion because you couldn't go anywhere in New York City. I wasn't doing, yeah. you know, like advertisements for car companies because we weren't really going anywhere, you know? And so for a full year, it's like I had to pivot and kind of figure out what I wanted to do creatively. And when we moved from New York down to South Florida, that's when I had the opportunity to kind of execute the idea that I'd had for Retro Recipes, where it was kind of just like, hey, let's make these silly dishes, you know, and kind of like tie together the fact that like we love, you know, my girlfriend and I, like we love vintage clothing. We love like the, the, the vintage, uh, vintage aesthetic of the, you know, mid-century period. Um, but bring it in with like the skill set that I have when it comes to like video production. And mm -hmm. what ended up happening was it like it using my platform, this fellow, I'd already had 70 something thousand followers at the time. So it was a really wonderful way to kind of like introduce people to what I was doing. It was never meant to be like a full-time thing. It was kind of just like a fun little side thing that I wanted to do creatively because I like to do video production, but it mm -hmm. turned into something more where people really liked it. And that's when I was like, I need to turn this into a brand because it's, it's gotta have its own separate identity. And so I started the TikTok account for retro recipes kitchen because retro recipes was already taken <laughs> yeah. and then it's just kind of at a certain point um it started to go really quickly and so i made the instagram account and it was just really funny because up until very recently it only had um yeah about a month and a half ago it only had four thousand followers and those were all people that had just followed from this fellow you know it's like there yeah. was really nice people that were just like hey of course i'll follow that account that's cute you know like you have two accounts but i was starting to only push everything over there to try to drive traffic and then suddenly i did something right things clicked and in the last i'd say like uh 60 days or less uh 
my account went from about 4,000 people on Instagram to 77, 78,000 in like no time. And then <laughs> kind of awesome. around the same, yeah, and then it's just wild. And then it's kind of the same on TikTok. It's like early on last year, I had a big pop during the summer where it went from a couple of thousand to a hundred thousand, you know, from a couple of viral videos. And then it kind of plateaued for a while, but now again, it just did it again with the same time as the Instagram when I changed the format and made my um, what's on the menu series. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like that just, it just ticks the boxes algorithmically, like what the, what like Instagram and TikTok and YouTube are looking for. Um, it's, they're short enough videos. They're, they're, they're to the point. They, they catch your eye and, you know, it's, it's just, you know, the stars aligned and, but it was, it was a good thing that I started to kind of like, you know, deviate from this fellow because now it surpassed my original account by a lot so far <laughs> and now it's making it a lot easier for me to kind of like you know not have any of this brand confusion because before i would reach out to companies because i'm my own agent you know it's like i have mm -hmm. to reach out to any of the brands and companies that it were for and it would get really confusing when i would be like hey let's do a partnership together i have this amazing pitch deck and all this information plenty of examples but um is coming from this fellow and it would be like yeah and go visit tiktok at retro recipes kitchen or instagram at this fellow and they're just like we're, we're really confused like what's your direction mm -hmm. and so i think it was it was just like one of those things that my girlfriend talked about for a long time and i finally you know like took the time to do it <laughs> yeah. it's just like prioritize the retro recipe brand as its own thing and then isolate it after a point um from everything else so that now it's like it's it's not me you know, it's mm -hmm. not, this is Bobby's channel. It's now like Retro SP's Kitchen. If I wanted to eventually sell this IP, you know, it's like to somebody to continue whatever was going on and continue the idea, I could do that because it's now a brand. It's, yeah. an, it's, it's a kind of like an entity rather than just like, hey, it's Bobby's creative channel. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, that's awesome. I think it's really smart and really important uh, and just kind of how you've navigated and like you said how you've been able to have this business acumen of going through the different channels and brands so thanks for sharing all that i would i would want to ask you um you know a couple quick questions one is there any so for me memento mori is a big phrase that i live life by do you have anything like that for yourself do you have any maybe it doesn't have to be a quote or a phrase ideas or guiding factors in your life that continue on this path of like creativity and just like you know self uh, evolve self evolve involvement and evolution wow that took a long time to get there it's all good it's, it's a tongue twister i was even trying to figure it out when you were saying it because it'd be hard <laughs> i mean uh you know for me i think like one thing that i'll occasionally drop this in a comment and stuff sometimes because i think it's just it just perfectly sums up the attitude that you kind of have to have doing what i do but, you know, it's just simply like, don't yuck my yum. You know, it's <laughs> like the when you look at the food, it always sounds terrible. I mean, every single time I make a dish, unless it's like a delicious cake or a pie or something, and even some of those are just terrible sounding. Um, you know, it's like you make it, and then I'm always so surprised at just like how much better at least than I thought it would be, or actually how delicious it really is uh, straight from the recipe. And so I think that like that's something to kind of consider. It's like there are a lot of things that I've made using ingredients that I absolutely would never want to use on my own time, you know, like but but it's 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 educated me to be a little more like cognizant of like 
how interesting flavor combinations can be versus an individual item. You know, for example, yeah. like ma- mayonnaise. I'm not a fan of mayonnaise. I absolutely hate mayonnaise. But mayonnaise used in the proper way with certain other things, it can go from being something that's just like yuck to something that's like kind of incredible. Uh, and it could be said about, you know, vinegars or anything else as well that a lot of people might have like adverse reactions or, or, or feelings about. Yeah. But I'd, I'd say like, don't yuck my yum. And then I, I think for me, it's kind of just like, uh, I, I always try to have a willingness to just say yes. You know, it's like, especially if something sounds or feels strange or scary, um, that's more of like a life thing for me. It's like, mm. I, I've always been kind of told uh, that I, I'm blessed with moxie. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I, I'm blessed with this ability to kind of just like, let's just walk into whatever's going to happen, see what happens and make it work, you know? And I, I think that having that little bit of confidence going into it, especially if you're cooking, you know, uh, it keeps you from cooking afraid, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's an expression that's kind of been used for, for, you know, decades and decades, if not longer, but you know, it's like, you don't want to cook afraid. You want to cook excited and, you know, comfortable. And I think that just having a willingness to just try something and just say yes, or try new foods that you haven't tried before. That's, that's a, a, that's something I live by. So. Cool. Awesome. No, thank you for sharing all that. Um, And then I think for also uh, the last question, I think I'll go to for you is, you know, with the retro recipes, like having it all be from a different time, a different era. Um, do you, do you find that your music you listen to ways you go throughout life? How impacted is that from like spending all this time in like in a bygone era? Like, do you find your like personal interests and whatnot affected in any way by like just maybe cultures or ideas that we have lost or we don't really remember when it comes to food or whether it comes to like certain music or sounds or anything like that. Do you find that like that culture stops at just the food you make or is it also like other things that you kind of enjoy? No, I mean, I, I, you know, I, as much as I like when I'm, when I'm at home, I mean, even right now I'm wearing a t-shirt, a sweater, you know, it's like, I'm wearing blue jeans. Like I'm, I'm relaxed, you know, it's like, I like to bum it and be comfortable and just kind of, you know, like feel like I'm very much a part of 2023, (laughs) you know, I got my Crocs on, you know, it's like, I'm no shame when it comes to modern stuff, but it is one of those things though, where it's just like, I really truly love, um, everything about the 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 period when it comes to kind of like the aesthetics and the music choices and everything else so i mean on a regular basis like if i'm not listening to you know like uh metal that's probably too intense for a lot of the folks that might you know like tune into it you know it's like if i'm not listening to that i'm listening exclusively to like you know patsy klein or or like i'll type in a decade you know like uh, I'll type in just in Spotify, like 1958, boom, let's hit it. And I'll just like, I'll just play whatever kind of comes off of there. I almost exclusively live in like a musical period of time. That's either like the most up-to-date angriest metal that you can listen to, or like country music from like the, the 1930s, <laughs> 40s and 50s. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't exclusively like box me up, but I really do live in like that. Like if I'm going out, I'm, I'm wearing vintage clothing, like my button up shirts, just because they're more comfortable, you know? Yeah. Um, and even though, you know, it's like, I'm not exactly going to go out and 
order, you know, something that might be like a weird mid-century thing if it was offered somewhere. <clears throat> um, you know, it's like I, I like the idea that I I could, you know, and be happy mm-hmm. with it, you know. <laughs> Definitely. No, that all makes sense. And I guess I'll throw one more in. This is more of an existential question. I usually end these lighthearted, but it really got me thinking. Time. What is your relationship with time? How do you view Because I feel like a lot of people work to like leave a legacy or like kind of leave an impact. And I'm sure so many of the people that worked on these cookbooks, worked in these recipes, families that have these recipes, like food is this thing that kind of, I feel like per- pervades and keeps moving forward. And we like, it, it just, it continues with time. So how do you look at time as a whole? Is, has it changed your perspective at all? It's a big question. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> when, you know, like when I'm looking at these books and stuff, like I try to, like, I just try to appreciate time in a way, like, currently in my life, the way that I try to treat respect to the pages of some of the books that I'm holding. You know, it's like a lot of the books that I have are, you know, they're, they are so worn that, like, the spine in the books is, is broken so that the pages fall out or something, you know, and mm-hmm. I keep everything together. Like, I try to be as respectful and understand that, like, people put time, because I think that that was a big quality and a big focus of folks at the time, you know, like, is, we, they didn't have social media. They didn't have a lot of the same distractions that we have today. If you wanted to entertain yourself, you read a book. If you wanted to do something playful, you would go outside and play in the dirt. You know, it's like th- there there was a very different way of approaching things. And so the way that we value time today is so incredibly different than how they did back then. So yeah. I try to, I try to like, especially when I'm cooking or looking with the books or stuff, like I try to really just like own it, take my time with it and really just like enjoy, you know, being in this little like time capsule. But at the same time, you know, it's like, because I am a 24 seven content creator, you know, whatever you want to call it. I, I, you know, it's like, sorry for the thunder. It's Florida. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, because like, I, I have to kind of like create so much and, and just to keep the ball going and stuff like this, I, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, it's like I am constantly spending my time at this computer editing videos and editing photographs and queuing up aspects of like my my work relationship so that I can keep that business moving forward. So, I mean, I like when you were talking about like time in particular is kind of like that's the difference where I think a lot of people had more of a focus of kind of just like having downtime and that's something that i'm trying to be better about is like finding a little more downtime for myself but it's yeah. it's not even it's not even so much that i don't have it because i mean i work from home i work for myself you know like my favorite quote about it is that like the best part about being your own boss is that you get to decide you know which <laughs> 18, 18 hours of the day that you're working you know Shit. but it is one of those things where it's like i'm trying to be better about like making time for myself to do things like you know, physical fitness, you know, uh, despite the fact that I have a cooking channel, I am the worst when it comes to actually eating. It's, mm. it's almost, it's almost three o'clock now. I haven't even had anything to eat today except for some coffee. And I, and that's a normal day for me. It's like, I don't eat until usually like eight o'clock at night. Wow. So, I mean, I'm just trying to be better about my time management and try to slide back into kind of like that, you know, slower pace of life per se, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I get that. And I'm kind of the same way. I feel like I'm always doing something or always going to be focused on something and just having 
just even thinking about it now, the time to just relax and let your brain rest is something I'm not good at, but definitely much more needed. Can I, um, can I ask you a question? Yeah, go for it. So, so I mean, like, you know, just because I would be curious if, I, like, whenever I listen to your podcast, I would be curious to hear your thoughts on this. Like, you know, do you have any particular, like, you know, quote, retro recipes or mid-century dishes and stuff like that that you have made or that you grew up with or, or, or something that, like, you would actually, like want to try that you've heard about but you've never actually tried before it's hmm, a good question i think for me uh i mean green bean casserole like the like on thanksgiving with like the fried onions and stuff that always makes me feel like it's it, it, my, so grandma, my grandma made it and so i think that's one of those like long-standing ones um i've always wanted to do a wellington uh i know it's not really fitting in with like too much of like, the home cooked stuff but i feel like that's such a classic dish that i've always wanted to try and i've never done i've never made um, it yeah, it looks like uh, it's probably a whole day project. Uh, casseroles, like my mom growing up always made like tuna casserole or um, like, you know, just like stuff like that. Not like a box, but actually like made my grandma used to make that. So I feel like casseroles I'm a big fan of. So I think like stuff like that. I don't really know beyond that, though, that I've really had much. I've definitely have wanted to like go through the Julia Child's cookbook and whatnot. And I don't know. I just like I think you know, aspic looks cool, but then it doesn't taste great. And so like, I just think I have this weird relationship with what I would want to make, but I would be open to trying new things. Like if you sent me a recipe that you think I'd enjoy, I would make it. So I, I think that like the fun thing about the, the fun thing I will say about an aspic, right. It's like one of the first big viral videos that I made was for a, a something called a chicken buffet in aspic. And it was from like an old, uh, like women's magazine or, or or like i think it was called like women's daily magazine or something like that <clears throat> and it's basically like chicken stock this clarified gelatin you know you've got shredded boiled chicken and then like a bunch of you know mirepoix and some olives and random pimentos and stuff but it's like what i do think is kind of fun about it is that at the end of the day you are essentially making a soup like i said that stands up so it's like if yeah. it wasn't very good or it was just really boring. You could easily just chuck it back into a pot and just add some seasoning and then just turn it into like a rich soup that, that when it's liquidy yeah. and stuff, it just eats like marrow, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, but yeah, I don't know. It's like, I just think like questions like this are just kind of the interesting things because you know, like that I always want to ask folks because at the end of the day, when I'm doing these, I'm doing these so that others can vicariously experience whatever it is that I'm making. But mm. I think that it's also important to kind of like, I, I try to leave a little tips here and there about just showing that it's like, you know, instead of using Campbell's cream of mushroom soup, you know, it's like if you educate people on how to make like, let's say, you know, a nice bechamel with like mm -hmm. mushrooms, you know, and, and like, and you teach people how to create like, you know, a roux and then you add your milk and it is like infusing the milk, maybe like with other yeah. things or like you teach people how to chef it up. Then all of a sudden you take like these iconic kind of like, whether they're good or bad classic dishes that were just terrible before because they just made it with like a Campbell's can and, and water you know, yeah. and then teach them how to like take this and, and kind of chef it up a little bit. And it turns into something where it's not even this like Michelin fancy, but it just turns into a dish that's not only delicious, but so craveable. And you're like, yes, because when I make like broccoli uh, or not broccoli, um, the green bean casserole, like mm -hmm. for, for years and years and years, I would just use a can of 
mushroom soup. But then I started to make my own. I would actually get like giant mushrooms, sear them really well, get like that rich caramelized texture on the outside, roast them so they have full of flavor. You know, I'd, I'd add a little bit of like white wine that they'd absorb and all this and then make a bechamel. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, blanch the green beans so that they're not like just fall apart mush, but they're like a little bit of bite to them and stuff. And it's like, these are the little things that I just love to ask because it's like you can easily see how somebody with even a basic understanding of cooking can elevate something that for a long time we thought was trash but it's actually like super delicious when it's done right definitely and I also do have like my like growing up I I remember one of my cousins um, she'd make this like Dorito salad that she like Dorito taco salad where it's like Dorito chips and ground beef and gosh like I think there's like Thousand Island dressing or something it's like a really Intra- but it tastes so good like it tastes really good like I, maybe it was french sorry not, it was french's dressing uh, french dressing and it, was just, it tastes so good but it's like one of those like betty crocker type like scene as seen on like the food network type stuff but it, it's good so like i'm and for me like i always get joked on because my favorite like christmas cookie is a pillsbury uh christmas tree sugar like those are my favorite cookies for sure christmas. they're so amazing it's like, I'm, all, I'm always down for like all the like I would, I would say, like, older school or stuff like that. I'm never opposed to trying or eating any of it. And I think that, like, one of my favorite things about what I do is that at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I, I'm discovering these same foods for the first time just like any other person. You know, I'm, I'm going in mm-hmm. it with, like, the reactions completely blind. I haven't tasted anything throughout the, the process, you know, because I want to have, like, a genuine reaction. But it's yeah. been really fun because even, like, I was chatting with Chris Spear, you know, from Chefs Without Restaurants podcast and you know it's like he was even saying how he had done like a charity event to like raise money for an organization and it was for a food bank and he was Mm -hmm. like one of the things that he did and i just loved this idea so much was kind of taking like that education of somebody that has like formal culinary training right and and i think the best way i'd ever heard somebody explain like what they thought a chef was i think it was jeremy allen white like the actor that plays Carmi in The Bear. And he yeah. said, you know, it's like the difference between just like a good cook and a really good chef is somebody that like a good chef can walk into anybody's house, look at their pantry and then say, okay. And like, they just know what they're going to do and they can make something from this. And it's going to be great and taste amazing. Even if it's like canned products and things like this. And, you know, Chris was telling me about how like with his uh, charity events, they would actually have like a food bank. They would have all of these canned goods and so for this event, they would actually make almost kind of like a, a top chef style competition where they would have like these various canapes or past dishes that they would have to create from like just whatever they had available. And so he was saying some of like the craziest stuff that they were able to create from it. And, you know, it's like, I think one was like a trail mix romesco, he said, and, and, um, uh, there were some others that were just like the weirdest sounding things, but I was just like, that's so cool. But, it, but it's like, yeah. you know, you have to kind of like put yourself in this perspective of like, you trust yourself over like what you, what you perceive the food to be mm-hmm. and just know that you can make it good. And that's how you walk into any, any of these situations. So even when I see a dish that I know is terrible, I'm like, you know what, this looks like, this looks like utter shit in this recipe. But if I add more salt, you know, or, or like, like use my judgment. I can, I can not only save this dish, I can actually make it delicious. So yeah, definitely. No, I definitely agree with you. 
Awesome, man. Well, we're almost at an hour. If you, This is the part of the show where if you want to share where people can follow you. Again, I'm going to put also in the description, but I'd like to give you your space to um, kind of just share, like, you know, where you want people, where you want to direct people. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, you can follow me across any of the platforms. It's on literally everything. Currently, I'm just really trying to push hard for... Uh, Instagram and TikTok, which are both retro recipes kitchen. Mm-hmm. That's yep. recipes with an S. And then on YouTube, I've got um, Bobby Hicks cooks because it was recommended that I you know, make that one more personal. But I don't know. We'll see if that sticks. <laughs> um, but I'm actually really excited because uh, you know I've been working really hard to kind of like build up the brand, build up the platform. Like you said, I have a link tree in the bios of those things. So they have like merch and things, but I'm really, really, really so excited because I think in about maybe a few weeks to a month, um, I'll have restaurantrecipeskitchen.com live. And, you know, it's like, that's going to be really fun for me because I'm going to be turning it into a food blog. It's going to be like a nice mix of kind of like retro recipes, but also maybe some like up to date modern things that kind of like brings in a direction from from old and new. Um, and it'll be like weekly updates with like photographs and content you just won't be able to get on the videos. Uh, well, constant idea, take it or leave it. I would love to see you do something if, like on your channel where maybe it's not the same exact recipe because obviously there's going to be a variation, but if you compared like a style of a dish from the forties or fifties to like a really modern take on it and like made the process. I think that would be cool. Something, like retro something versus I've, modern or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I've tested a whole bunch of different weird things like antiquated or AI was a series I did and stuff. <laughs> but I, yeah, but I, I, I do plan on eventually um, doing a kind of a series that's uh, called uh, retro remakes, you know, mm. uh, or retro revisit, something to that effect, some kind of fun alliteration. But yeah, it would be like where I, I go back and I revisit just terrible dishes. And instead of having to remake that whole dish over again, I want to like just take that really shitty dish, like a poached egg and aspect, and like, let's see if I can make it better, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I'm sure that I can. It just requires like knowing what went wrong with the first one and mm-hmm. understanding like how to, I don't know, cook. <laughs> Gosh, you could even do like retro, like the craziest retro recipes versus the craziest TikTok recipes and like, which is more vile to eat. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that turns into its own trend, you know, it's like. <laughs> it's its own channel. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. But yeah, it, it's very, obviously it shows how much work you put in and shows how much you care. And just thanks for take, taking the last hour to kind of share with us all of the ins and outs of what you do. More than happy, brother. Thank you again for yes. having me. Of course. So there you have the interview with Bobby Hicks. Again, thank you all so much for listening to the show. Bobby, thank you for coming on. Go follow him at Retro Recipes Kitchen on Instagram and TikTok and at this fellow on Instagram. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to sign up for Prepless Items newsletter at LineClickThoughts.com. And I will see you on the next Line Click Thoughts podcast.